Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome again, loyal listeners, to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting next to me, laughing his head off at me as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about some flops. Yeah, and not earlier podcasts, oddly enough. <laughs> not petaflops. Not, not teraflops. Uh, no, we're going to we we decided we wanted to look at some uh, some. Famous, in some cases, infamous technological flops, stuff that just did not go as planned, didn't perform as well as it was supposed to, uh, maybe, you know, made a big splash and then immediately sank. Um, so we're, we're, we're focusing on the hardware side. I'm sure in a future podcast, we will focus on software that totally flopped as well. Sure. Why not? So it's fun. do you want to start or shall I? Well, I don't know. You said you had yours divided up into categories. Right, I do. What are your categories? Okay, I have handheld devices, Uh game systems, Uh computers, Okay. potpourri. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding about the potpourri. S-words. I'm kidding, yeah. So so do you have a particular category you want to start with, or should I just launch into my favorites? You can launch into whatever you like, because uh, like I said, I mean, I've got... I've only got a couple of handheld devices, but I have several game systems and computers that I can talk about. Okay. Well, the, my my all-time favorite and the one that made me think of this is a game system-related okay. item. Um, and some people consider it a success. I consider it a sort of a flop. Okay. And that would be the uh, – you newer people or you – know, if you were born after 1980, you're just going to go, what? Um the Atari 5200 joystick. Oh, man, that was one of my list. Yes, Atari yeah, 5200. Um, I, I had an Atari 2600 growing up. My wife had a 5200, so she uh, added that to my tech museum from the marriage. I consider it the uh, the prize of my collection. Yeah, so um, kind of her dowry. Yes, exactly. Nice. You know, forget the hope chest. I want the 5200. <laughs> Problem is, and and this is uh, from what I've I've read in the past, um, Atari really pushed its engineers to come up with new stuff that it could patent. Right. And, uh, they came up with this joystick, which is an analog joystick, exactly like the, well, not exactly like, but very similar to the ones you might see on modern controllers, like on the Xbox 360 or the, uh, PlayStation controllers. They're the, the little thumbsticks. Mm-hmm. But this is bigger, and it's a, it's a lot bigger, actually. Um, and, uh, comes attached to a, uh, a numeric keypad. But the right. problem with this is a lot of the games at that point were very, you know, up, down, left, right sort of games. And so this 360-degree controller made it a real pain in the neck to play stuff like Pac-Man and yeah. anything you needed a firm, straight, up and down, left or right direction for. I, I heard that it had a real hard time recentering. Yes, it um, did. I also heard that they were fairly flimsy and could break at, you know, a moment's notice. Some, if you were a, an energetic gamer, let's say, you could probably go through one in just a couple of gaming sessions. I actually sent back the one that had, uh, my, my, the one that came with my wife's system had broken. And I sent it to this place in California called Best Electronics, which actually has a lot of the old Atari parts. And if you send in your controller, they will give you a discount on a remanufactured one. Wow. It has since broken too. I'm not surprised. Uh, it was it was not very hardy. There were some other problems with the Atari 5200 besides the fact that it had a lousy controller. So I'm glad you mentioned the controller because that was definitely on my list. But the okay. 5200 itself was on my list. Okay. The main reason was because it was not backwards compatible. 
No, not in the least. You couldn't play Atari 2600 games on the Atari 5200. Which was a very common gripe at the time, because those of us with 2600s had a bunch of games. Yeah, and the worst part was was that they started to re-release the games in 5200 formats. So you would have to buy the same game to play it on your new system. So you'd have to have two copies of the same game just to be able to play it. So if you are a current console owner and wonder about backward compatibility and why they bother doing that, that's why. Yeah. Because people will gripe. Now, yeah, as anyone who's owned any of the Nintendo machines leading up to the Wii could, uh-huh. could argue because – of course, that's the same problem is that they would, they, they off, Nintendo would often ignore backwards compatibility. And, um, and I mean, that was one of the things about PS2 that people loved was the fact that you could still play the PlayStation 1 games on the PS2, most of them anyway. And same thing with the Xbox 360. You could play most of the Xbox games on it. So, you know, you didn't feel like you had to keep an old machine around just to be able to play some of your favorite games. You could, you could actually get rid of it. Play the stuff on the new machine. That's true. Atari 5200, not so much. No, and, and so on it went. As a matter of fact, Atari had a giant lead in the home with the 2600 and sort of began squandering it because on my list are also the Atari 7800, Atari Lynx, and Jaguar. Yeah. Uh, and they yeah. got increasingly hard to use and people stopped developing for them. Yeah, you got smaller and smaller libraries of games. The games that did come out were pretty lame. And so Atari, you know, eventually was no longer a player in the uh, video game console war. I probably, I probably shouldn't have mentioned the Lynx in a way because the Lynx actually, from what I understand, was a pretty good gaming system. But by nice. that point, they had already squandered their developers. Right. Yeah. That was the problem was that, you know, it was a good device without good content. That's yeah. the problem. Uh, and because they and, were going up against the first Game Boy at that point in Nintendo. Right. You know, <laughs> and some of these flops are are flops not because the hardware that itself was was faulty, yeah, but just because of bad timing or other consequences. Um, all right, well, let me let me throw another game system at a, a an infamous game system flop. Okay, Nintendo Virtual Boy. Oh yeah. Oh boy, did you ever actually try one of these? No, I'd seen them. Yeah, and uh, they looked kind of uh, it looked kind of flimsy and I didn't want to mess with it. Okay, so because I didn't want to try it out in the store and have it break. <laughs> right. Yeah. You don't want to end up buying a multi hundred dollar system that has only fourteen games Ouch. in the United States. Uh so the the Nintendo Virtual Boy, if you don't remember this or if you've never seen one, you wonder what we're talking about. It looked like a visor. Um, it was, uh, it was this, this, the system, it was a virtual reality visor. Yeah. Yeah. The, the system uh, was like a, you know, think of like a electronic binoculars really, um, on a little tripod and you would put your face up to it and you'd look through the lenses and it was all in red and black. Those were the only two colors that it could display. And it would, uh, because you're looking at it through binocular vision, you would given the, um, the, the feeling of depth. So it, it, created a, a 3D effect. Although I have to say from my own personal experience, it was not an overwhelmingly convincing 3D effect. <laughs> not only that, but Nintendo started to build in elements in the games that would require you to take breaks after you played it for a while because users were reporting problems with headaches and eye strain after using it for more than, you know, 15 minutes at a time. Yikes. And I don't know about you, but uh, when I'm gaming... It's usually longer than 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, in fact, as a, as a kid, uh, I was one of those kids who would rack up the, you know, three or four hours of serious gaming all in a row. Yeah. 
um, depending on what the system was and what the games were. So, yeah, that would have been pretty irritating. Now, I only tried it out in stores, and I think um, there was one kid in my neighborhood who had one. And before we ostracized him for his choice in video gaming, uh, I played it a couple times at his house. But then, of course, we ended up, you know, ostracizing him. Yeah, we yeah. We, we kind of banished him from the neighborhood. Oh, okay. Yeah, we do not speak of him. <laughs> I uh, I have what I call Jonathan rolls his eyes at me moment, oh, but he may he may actually uh, he may actually enjoy the fact that I'm doing this. Okay. <clears throat> a long time ago, the Commodore company had something that they purchased from somebody else called the Amiga. Well, they made a series of fairly successful computers. But what they also made was a console called the Amiga CD32. It was the first 32-bit console game system uh, available in Canada and Europe. And actually, uh, Amiga was actually known for its games. In fact, when I had my Amigas and they were my only computers, People used to laugh at me because they said, oh, well, I've got a PC or I've got a Mac and you've got a game machine. Well, I think that's really funny now when people buy $5,000 PCs to play games on. Right. But um, the CD32 was going to capitalize on that because it was a uh, console that you could hook up. It actually had ports for keyboard and mouse. Unfortunately, Commodore didn't manage things very well and they never even got to introduce it in the United States before it folded. So wow. it just sort of uh, – you know, it was, went away. It was the the game that that almost was. There were some titles that I played that were available for the CD32 that I played on the Amiga that were pretty cool, but you know, again, it, it didn't matter that the uh, just <laughs> the hardware happened. wasn't okay. Yeah. It was just sort of a, I mean, first 32 bit system. All right, I got another one for you. Okay, Nokia Engage. Ah, uh, yes, this is sort of a handheld gadget slash game system. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and there's another one that I can add in there too afterwards. The Engage too. No, no, no. The Engage 2 was an improvement over the Engage. Okay. Granted, it still was a flop, but so then the original Nokia Engage, first of all, it, uh, it looked pretty weird. Um, if you wanted to use it as a phone, because it did have phone capabilities, you had to hold it, um, in a really weird sideways, uh, fashion. You, you didn't hold it flat side to your ear. You held it edge to your ear. So people said it looked like you were holding a taco to your face. Um, I had Mexican food for lunch. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's an awkward design, and uh, and the other, uh, the awkward in more ways than one. If you wanted to switch the games out of the original Nokia, you had to remove the battery to do it. Seriously, you had to take the battery out, take out the cartridge, put a new cartridge in, put the battery in, and start playing. So yeah, bad design, and um, it didn't get a whole lot of support. Not a whole lot of games came out for it. So, although it hung around for a couple of years. Um, it just, it never really got a big market share. Uh, there, there's still some elements of the Nokia Engage out there now. Nokia still has the, the gaming platform, um, for the, for its phones. You can use the Nokia Engage platform on your phone. Um, you're not actually using the, the, the Engage device itself. But yeah, that was another flop. The other one I was going to mention, of course, was the Gizmondo. Oh, yes, which never was. Right. This sort was of. a, this was a handheld device. Uh, had, uh, had lots of cool features in it, you know, a camera, GPS receiver. Um, but it was like $400 for a little handheld device. And from what I understand, it would drain the battery so quickly that there was really no way you could have a satisfying gaming experience on it in the first place. So another technology flop. And that, then, you know, the company turned out to be sort of. Yeah. Know. The, 
there are a lot of interesting, interesting, <laughs> controversial things about that company and its founder. Yes. Um, you should we, read up on that. It's interesting. Yeah, so. we really can't go into it because that's not really about the flops. I no. mean, that's more – we should do technology controversies at some point. Oh, yeah. That would be, be a fun, fun one. Um, I'm done with game systems, by the way. I am too. Hey. Oh, right. actually, well, there was the CDI. Yeah. We could talk about other ones like the CDI, the 3DO. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. are plenty of other ones that, that flopped. Well, the CDI was sort of cross-platform. You know, because it had uh, one DVD player and other stuff in it. Right. It's just that uh, it was kind of expensive and nobody wanted to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those that just never really found a place either. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, how about I go with handheld devices so we can go ahead and put up the uh, flame-proof shielding around the, the podcast? Hold on one second while I flip a switch. All right. There we go. There we go. Here we go. <sighs> the Apple Newton. <gasps> Don't hit me. Not in the face. <laughs> um, the Apple Newton. Okay, I know it has its uh, devotees, but uh, Apple Newton was, man, what a what a mess that was, especially the original Apple Newton that came out. It just, even some of the designers who worked on the Apple Newton say that it was rushed to market and that it was not ready when it hit the store shelves. That um, never happens with technology. Right. Uh, I read a report from one – I wish I had written down the, the fellow's name, but I read a report from one of the founders or one of the people who designed the, the Newton. Um, he actually left the project before it, it finally went to the stores. Mm-hmm. But he specifically said that that Apple should not – the Apple marketing crew should not say that the Apple Newton could recognize your handwriting because he felt that that capability was not – fully implemented and that it presented an incorrect picture. And not only did they use it, but they used it in the largest font and put it on the front page of the marketing materials. So the Apple Newton, in case you don't know what it is, it was sort of a, a PDA. And it, it, could, it was a PDA. Yeah, it was a PDA that, that you could use to, to take notes. You, you had a little stylus that you could write on your, your, the screen and it was supposed to have handwriting. Uh, recognition as well as all these other capabilities. That was just one thing that it could do, but that was what it was really known for doing poorly. Yeah, that's true. The the handwriting recognition sort of gets a bad rap for an otherwise pretty decent little machine. And for those of you who don't know what a PDA is, for some of our younger <laughs> listeners, it's a smartphone without the phone, right? Yeah. Or the camera, yeah, it's, or the it's, GPS system. It's, <laughs> it's it's the way that you can keep your your uh, calendar and contacts and things like that all. At hand without actually being able to to make any phone calls. Yeah, the, um, uh, the Newton technology actually moved into something else called the E-Mate, which was supposed to be for educational purposes. Yeah. It was sort of a clamshell device and uh, had a little keyboard in it. A lot of people thought it was kind of neat, but Apple killed it. That was right at the uh, the point where Steve Jobs came back to the company and he pretty much said, yeah, no more Newton. Right, right. Or E-Mate, right. for that matter. Um, and the Newton was um, – well, first of all, it was small, but not small enough. It was still a pretty bulky device when you're talking about handheld devices. And the most expensive model cost $1,000. That's a lot of money for a PDA. Yeah, it is. Especially one that doesn't necessarily recognize your handwriting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I've got one other handheld device I can talk about very briefly before we move on to one of yours, if you like. Or well, do you have one you want to throw in? I, I've got a, I've got a handheld device. Oh, excellent. And I have a, uh, another it. gadget that's not really. Okay. Um, handheld device, uh, I have the Q-Cat. The that's Q-Cat. C-U-E Cat. I don't, I don't, that's not ringing any bells. <laughs> oh, Jonathan. I, I think that's good for you because the Q-Cat was a device, um, that, 
actually Wired was going to try out this partnership, but uh, it seriously, you need to be sitting down for this. It was a cat shaped barcode reader, USB barcode reader. Why? Because there was it was a marketing device. You would get a QCAT, and then they would send a magazine to you, like Wired, and you would scan the barcode. So if you were interested in something on page 17 and it had a barcode for the QCAT, you could read it. However, it also became known that they each device had a number that was identifiable. So it basically had cookies built into it, if you will. And so they could figure out what you were interested in, what you weren't interested in. Now, it wouldn't have personally identifiable information, but they would know that, you know, whatever your user number was, you know, was yeah. interested in user these number, kinds of technologies. User or number three really likes ladies' underwear. Exactly. Um, however, hackers started using them for different things. They found ways to use them for other stuff like uh, scan barcodes to add things to your database. Wow. So you could create your own home library. And that made the QCAT people really upset, and they threatened to sue those hackers if they could ever find them. Um, nonetheless, the QCAT sort of evaporated and never came back. Gotcha. Um, and, yes, it is cat-shaped. It looks like a reclining cat. Well, let me hit you with this handheld device really quickly. Um, hopefully not literally. No, no, no. I don't own one, so I couldn't. All right. Um, but there are lots and lots of cell phones that have come out that have we could call a flop. You okay. Know, there are lots of phones that just didn't work out. Sure. And um, I mean, there are hundreds of them. So I'm just cho- I just chose one out of all the different designs, and I chose it for one specific reason. I wonder if I'm right, but let me see. I doubt it. The Siemens Zelebri X1. Is that what you were thinking? No, it wasn't. Yeah. Because it was an oval-shaped cell phone that looked like a Star Trek communicator device. <laughs> and this thing just, nice. um, you know, it just didn't do well. It was a, a little oval device. And, I mean, it had a big monochromatic screen and um, and a, a weird keyboard that was – or keypad, I guess I should say. A weird keypad that was shaped oddly because it was at the other end of the oval – and, um, yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where I'm sure they thought it was a good idea at the time, but I don't, I don't know anyone who bought one mm-hmm. at all. Right. What, which phone did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to talk about, uh, Motorola, Motorola's rocker. Oh, that's phone. also another good one. Yeah. That's another because good they, device. they basically mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, their big MP3 player slash phone combination. The one that if you were to very... play an MP3, it stopped almost everything else on the phone. And there was very little storage on board. Yeah. So, you know. So not only does it not play it well, it doesn't hold very much. Which is very sad because it was nice looking. Yeah. Oh, no, it was pretty. I have a a piece of technology that's not handheld, nor is it a computer. So I guess maybe it's our Segway device. Okay. And that's Recom's Audrey. Oh, okay. Um, I actually worked for a company that, that was very interested in the Audrey at the time. And it was a, uh, an internet appliance. I'm not talking about the fridges that have internet access, although those are kind of flops too. Yeah. Or the coffee mate. Yeah. With internet access. Yeah. Right. But, um, no, this was a, uh, it was a very sleek device that, that 3Com made and very cool looking. Uh, had a little screen and it was basically so that you would have an internet appliance in the kitchen so that you could, you know, maybe while dinner's cooking, you can check your email or, uh, you know, look up a recipe online or, you know, do something <laughs> for the, it's sort of a PDA light. Because it had a, a stylus that you could use to use the screen, pretty neat looking. Hackers love it. They, they could they could get into it and mess with it. Thing is, it didn't sell very well, and 3Com had to change direction. 
so it, you know, it was really on sale only for about a year, year and a half, 1999, 2000 time frame. So, uh, kind of neat, but, you know, and, and maybe now it would actually succeed a little better than it would have back then, because now sure. that we have more of an emphasis on cloud computing where you don't even need a very strong, you know, computing device in order to access some really, really cool features. Maybe today it would do better than it did back then, but you see that with a lot of the, there were a lot of devices that were meant to access the internet and that's all they really were supposed to do. Right. And they were these thin client devices, but the problem was back then there weren't the web services that you needed to make that a useful device. Right. You didn't have the Google Docs where you could create a document and save it to a cloud storage system. Um, you would have needed a, a a hard drive, and most of these devices didn't have any kind of real storage space on them. So, you know, back then, not so much. Today, who's to say it might actually work? So uh, you have computers? Yeah, I got a whole bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can talk about them real quick. Okay, I think we so, should um, talk about them real quick. Here's the first one, okay. Apple Three. Uh-huh. So the Apple 3 is supposed to be the follow-up to the Apple 2. Uh, the most expensive model or the most expensive uh, version of the Apple 3 was uh, $7,800 when it came out. Yeah. That's um, pretty expensive in the mid-80s. Uh, yeah. So actually early 80s. And um, so it had a proprietary floppy disk format, which made it incompatible with earlier um, Apple computers. Mm-hmm. You know? So once again, we're looking compatibility. at compatibility issues. Um, there are a lot of hardware problems. Uh, I read one place where supposedly, and I was not able to verify this, so this is under the rumor, and, uh, but uh, supposedly one technician suggested that if your your hardware wasn't working properly, what you needed to do was lift the computer <laughs> a couple of inches and, and drop it. Ten centimeters. Yeah, so that it would reset the, the chips. chips. Yeah. That's not good tech support. No. If you have to drop your device so that it were I mean, that's essentially kick it. That's the Fonz's version of tech support. Percussive maintenance. Right. So um, anyway, Apple had to recall thousands of these machines shortly after um, putting them up for sale. And, uh, you know, I think it was like 14,000 units they had to recall. It was it was a horrible, horrible image problem for Apple. Um, and it just was a complete flop. Yeah. And uh, I bet I know another one on your list. What's that? The immediate predecessor to the Mac, which was actually developed at the same time as the Mac, but a total flop. Lisa? The Lisa. Yeah. Most of which are in landfills now. I did not choose the Lisa, but I figured that once you started talking about that, that had to be what you were getting at. And it was a very similar situation in the Apple thing. Way, way expensive. Uh, Similar technology to the Mac because it was developed by an entirely different group at Apple at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was so extremely expensive that they, uh, they kind of just let it go. All right. So, um, do you remember e-machines? Yeah. I had an e-machine. Did you ever have an e-machine? No. Okay. So e-machines, these are IBM, these were IBM, uh, compatible computers, um, that, uh, and still are, still are. Yeah. But the early, early e-machines that came out, uh, there were problems with them. One of the problems was that uh, they were super cheap. I mean, that was the the really the beautiful thing about the e-machine. Yeah, and you could even sign up for a service contract where you get a free computer in return for the service that you had purchased. Yeah, I imagine, I, I, if I remember correctly, you had to sign up for internet service for several years, yeah, it's too. Yeah, like, it was like two years. Um, it ended up being, but it still ended up being a fairly cheap computer by today's standards anyway. So we're right. talking about like 700 bucks. But uh-huh. you're, since you would have had to have purchased service somehow 
otherwise, I mean, you know, it looked like a deal. Right. The problem was that a lot of the e-machines, um, had faulty hardware, the uh-huh. early ones. The early ones had things like bad power supplies. They had noisy fans. Uh, sometimes the modems wouldn't work. Sometimes it was impossible to get hold of tech support. Um, so they were cheap but not reliable, the early ones anyway. At this right. point, I haven't used an e-machine in years, so I have no idea what the quality is now. But back then, not so good. Right. Uh, on a similar note, the Dell Dimension 4600. Uh-huh. So that came out in 2003. Also had problems with power supply uh, failures. Mm-hmm. So the real problem with this was not that only that you would have a power supply failure, but that Dell had misidentified the problem and thought it was a motherboard problem. Oh. So their solutions did not fix the problem right. for a very long time. And for a while, the company was adamant in denying that there were any power supply issues. Right. So that was kind of where Dell fell from grace for a while. Mm-hmm. So they've had to, you know, that's where the dude, dude, don't get a Dell. That's where the, the <laughs> little phrase came from out of that after their dude get a Dell um, commercials. So, yeah. Um, okay. How about uh, the Packard Bell PCs? All of them? Lots of them. Uh, <laughs> one out of six Packard Bell PCs returned to the store by users. Now, you know, Packard Bell still exists. Yes. And I, I know that they had bad problems in the 90s. Yes. I haven't heard how they're doing now. The, the 90s are really the era I'm looking at because one of the issues was that they were accused many times of selling used parts and claiming they were new. Mm-hmm. They would get old computers. They would cannibalize the parts. They'd put them into a new computer, send it back out. And uh, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, you're not supposed to claim it's new anyway because that's false advertising, really. You're saying you get an old new computer and you're actually getting a, a refurbished one, really. Mm-hmm. Um so that was one of the big problems. Now, these days, not necessarily the case, but that did plague them for quite some time. Yeah, I would uh, – just on a note, I, I would recommend checking out any computer you're seriously considering purchasing yeah. uh, just to see because anybody can make a dud. Well, and, and I mean I, I remember when I was looking at gateway computers, I had a friend of mine caution me against it because he said, well, the reason why gateway computers are so inexpensive would be because they get their – you know what they get their various parts from whatever the cheapest vendor is at the time mm-hmm. but the problem is that you can't always guarantee that the parts from one vendor are going to be compatible with the other parts you have that make up the whole of your computer right now again you know your mileage may vary you might end up with a computer that works perfectly fine but you might not um, we need to, we probably need to tail this off. Yeah. However, um, I do have a couple more that I'll okay. run through quickly. Um, and I'm glad we didn't, we went into some PCs because I was going to bring up the 20th anniversary Mac, uh, which was a beautiful black plastic machine that was, that looked a little like the iMac because it was vertical, but because it was vertical and they didn't have the same CD technology, they had to put in a CD drive that was slower than the others. Um, then you might find in another computer. And it was underpowered and overpriced and basically didn't take off. I also wanted to mention the PC Junior from IBM. Yeah. With Actually, the little the, chiclet keyboard. The PC was Junior wireless. and the PS1. Oh, yeah. Both of those were problematic. Yeah. And then a couple uh, other off-the-beaten-path ones. Uh, the B-Box, which was a really neat machine from Apple alum uh, Jean-Louis Gasset. Um, had, <laughs> had dual processors in it and its own operating system, which a lot of people thought – uh, would get bought by Apple, except they bought another computer that I have on my list, the Next, 
Right. Because they also got Steve Jobs in that bargain and incorporated Next Step OS into the Apple new Mac OS and uh, the B went away. So, yep. but both of those ended up, you know, they could have been their own thing, but, you know, not so much. Yep. Yep. And that's, uh, that's all the computers I had. That's, I'm done. All right. I am, I am tapped out of flops. You know, before you send us email and you might choose to do that at, at, uh, techstuff at howstuffworks.com. But mm, before nice. you do that, to berate us for our choices or mention something we didn't keep in mind that these are our opinions. So, you know, we wanted to throw out some that we thought were sort of floppy. Yeah. And when we're saying flops, we're not even necessarily saying that we're talking about bad hardware. Or in some of these cases, the hardware wasn't bad at all. It's just that it didn't succeed. And some were financial successes, but we're kind of iffy on the technology side. So, you know, feel free to uh, point them out. But keep in mind, just our two cents. Right. Or maybe five adjusted for inflation. Now, if you want to read more about these kind of uh, devices, well, we have articles in the electronics and computers channels that'll cover just about everything we've talked about from PDAs to computers to everything in between. You can find that at howstuffworks.com. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?